0: Thank you very much for having me here. I, I feel very honored. Um, I have a, a, a brother that's five years younger than me and uh, when, when when I was 10 and he was five, we used to play football out in the front yard because I was significantly bigger than he was. I'd get on my knees and so he'd come running at me and he'd try to get around me and pretty soon he'd try to jump over me and of course my favorite thing was to whack his legs out from underneath him. He'd turn for a flip and he'd land on the Ground and he'd get mad at me, and uh, so he would start trying to hit me. So I'd grab him and throw him down on the ground, and I'd I'd sit on top of him and I'd take grass and I would just drop it in his face, <laughs> and I'd say, "Come on, you're going to have to eat some grass and calm down." And then pretty soon I'd let him up, and uh, he would run into the house, tell mom I was being mad to him, but bad uh, bad to him, and, and then he'd come back out a little while later. We'd make up and then we'd start playing again. And then he'd run and jump. And I'd whack his legs. Out. <laughs> And then we'd go over and over again. So I'm sure everyone uh, here has kind of an unwritten protocol that uh, involved fighting when you were little kids. Um, It it was sort of an immature adolescent subculture within kids, especially boys, that we fight all the time. And I wish we, as we became adults, had outgrown uh, that tendency. Today, we don't eat grass but there's other things that cause us to fight and quarrel. Matt, last week, did a wonderful job about talking about the reasons that we fight and the reasons that we quarrel amongst us and the power that is needed to overcome it. But we all want to play God in our own lives, and we also want to play God in other people's lives. It's called self-exaltation, and that's a tendency, tendency that we as sinners all have. And what was the solution that Matt talked about last week? It was humility. Uh, humility al- allows us to uh, submit to God and then be content in our circumstances. So these two verses that we're going to look at today follow basically the message that Matt gave last week. It's verses 11 and 12. And we see that quarreling instead turns from being an inward or an interpersonal uh, struggle to us trying to be God in other people's lives, and that's by imagining ourselves as superior to other Christians by judging them or putting them down. So let's read the passages and then we'll go to prayer before we uh, get into the text. James 4, and 12, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, I pray that your spirit, empowers us to understand your paradigm for the causes and cures for confrontation that results from judging others which is purposed in your word, for building others up, and not mistake it for the world's paradigm of tearing others down. We pray that you would work mightily in our hearts to transform our minds that we can discern righteous from unrighteous judgment, so that we may build up the body of Christ, attaining the fullness of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Um, so this week, rather than looking at how we play God in our own lives, which Matt talked about, we're going to look at how we play God in other people's lives. We imagine ourselves as superior to others, and we put them down pretending ourselves to be better. And I, I want to emphasize the word there, pretending. Uh, we become self-proclaiming critics standing over a brother or sister, assuming a position of superiority. Uh, Last week, we talked about the sources of those conflicts, us not getting what we want. It was all focused on self, and the cure was dying to self and submitting to God. So we need to cultivate humility in our lives. Verses 11 and 12 shows us how that lack of humility in our lives plays out in the lives Of others as we interact. So how we promote ourselves as superior, slandering others by speaking against them uh, um, or lying about them. These verses are very hard to hear, but the whole book of James basically is an exercise of self-examination, and it can be very convicting. So let's first look at the, uh, the message of verse 11. It says, do not speak Evil against one another. The Greek word for speak against is katalelo, and it means to literally to speak against. A, a better description of it, it means to talk down to. So in the in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, as well as the Greek New Testament, this word is translated from the old all the way to the new in the exact same way. And I have several examples here to. Uh, that I'd like to look at to, to, to give you an idea of of how God feels about speaking against others. I'm going to first go to Numbers 12 and it's uh, with reference to Miriam and, and Aaron who spoke against Moses because he married a Cushite woman. Uh, Miriam goes on to say, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also, and the Lord heard it? He goes on a little bit further to say, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So what we see here is is that basically Miriam was upset that Moses was getting all all the press and all of the praise and all of the things that goes along with being the one chosen by God to redeem his people, and she was jealous about it. So she, she basically wanted to bring him down in the eyes of others by saying he didn't marry an Israelite, one of the God's chosen people. He married a Cushite, which is basically an African, it was an area in Africa, so he married an African woman. And they wanted to bring, or she wanted to bring Moses down in the eyes of the people and in the process of that, elevating herself. And God didn't like it. In fact, when God came down and corrected them, and then when his cloud lifted, Miriam had leprosy, and then Moses interceded. So there's no question that God did not approve of Miriam and Aaron's speaking against Moses. In Numbers 21, also, the people of Israel spoke against uh, God by complaining about their conditions that they had in the wilderness. They happily followed Moses out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, but as soon as they got into the desert and got uncomfortable and they got thirsty and they got hungry, they started grumbling against God and they grumbled against Moses. Psalm 50 uh, verse 20 says, The psalmist says a wicked person will speak against his brother, slandering him with lies. Job 19 says, 1 through 3, Job's friends spoke against Job, insulting him and crushing him with their words. In 1 Peter 2 12, Peter encourages believers to keep their conduct honorable. So when believers speak, so when the unbelievers would speak against the Christians, slandering them, as it says, as evildoers, um, their good deeds would witness to the slandering Gentiles. So what is all this recounting, and this is just five of many, many that that I could have used as examples. What what do we see in this recounting? If we speak against a brother or a sister, we join a group of rebellious um, mumblers, moaning grumblers, deceitful slanderers, crushing um, insulters, and wicked slanderers. This is not a good group to be connected with is the point. So let me show you the pattern of how this plays out in our lives today. You're talking to someone and in the course of the conversation you speak down or you speak against another person. So your hope in in speaking to this person is is that you would lower their estimate of that person and thereby make yourself appear superior. We cover it up with disingenuous Uh, Sentimental phrases like, I don't mean to be critical, but, or perhaps I shouldn't say this about him or her, but this is called slander. To slander is to make false charges or misrepresentations that damage a person's reputation. And it was uh, a good summary of this uh, by a commentator I read said, to speak ill of others is a dishonest way." of praising ourselves. So I looked high and low through the Old Testament and the New Testament looking for at least one positive thing that was said about slander and I'll be honest, I could not find anything but the one thing that I did find wasn't good at all. The Greek word translated uh, devil and the Hebrew word translated Satan are both translated as the slanderer. So he... Satan is known by the, uh, by the Jews as the evil one. Satan is the eternal enemy of God. He is not just a force or a power, but he's a real spiritual being. Together with his evil followers, he works continually to undermine God's plan to restore peace and unity in the world. The command that Matt talked about last week in verse 7 says is we are to resist The devil. That was one of the cures for um, creating a a humble um, um, heart and and showing humility to others. Paul also writes in in verse 12 in Ephesians 6 I'd like to read that for you. Um, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we live daily in a spiritual battle. By resisting the devil, as, as Matt talked about last week, the evil one will have no choice but to flee because we belong to the army of the living God. Slander of another person is a scheme of the devil and therefore it's part of the world. It is the way the devil creates disunity amongst the body of Christ to divide us. Matt explained last week how being a friend of the world is being an enemy of God. So slandering others squarely places us in the world and undermining God's plan to restore peace and unity in the world. This type of speech aligns us with the eternal enemy of God. That is how bad this type of speech is and it places us, as Paul said in Ephesians 6, in the present darkness. So that's one form of of the slanderous speech by putting others down or speaking against another. The next form of slander, and these go hand in hand, is judging others. Both of these types of speech clearly attempt to elevate us, the self, above others. They are both clearly slander, and Scripture repeatedly condemns these types of judgmental attitudes and actions. Among a few of these, and it's one that's very well quoted, is Matthew 7.1, which says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. It's important to note the context here. Everybody forgets the context in which that passage is said, but at that point he's, he's speaking about pharisaical, legalistic judgmentalism, with a more righteous-than-thou attitude. So we should not have a spirit of continual criticism and fault-finding. Matthew 7, 3, after that continues with, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your eye? Judging others attempts to put us above the one that's being judged. It attempts to make us feel superior. So we will see in the, in the, in the next verse in 4.12 that it's really worse than that, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a little while. Paul says in Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. The idea here is that we are quick to judge others, especially about things that we know a lot about, because we do them ourselves. We have our list of things we judge people for because it's a list of things that we know that we do. Um, the, the result or the reality of this is that we're making, other, making ourselves superior, but in the process, we're actually condemning ourselves. Paul adds in Romans 2.3, do you suppose, O oh man, you, you who judge, who practices such things, and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Jesus and Paul clearly here are targeting self-serving, malicious judgment. James is trying to motivate the reader to forsake the philosophy of the world that puts self first and to humble ourselves. My wife used to say to me early in our marriage when we were arguing, I know what you were thinking." My retort to her was, you don't know what I'm thinking, and the, the reality of it is I probably wasn't thinking anything at all, that's why we were having the argument, <laughs> but, but the, the bottom line is, is it, it didn't make any difference what I was thinking. She knew what it was, so she was the judge, the witness, she was the judge, and she was the jury, and I was wrong, <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> She, she regrets that. She has repented from that and, uh, and, and talks about it a lot. But it was one thing that would, would, would irritate me and give me difficulty in expressing grace. But that's a, that's a whole different sermon for a whole different time. <laughs> Communication in marriage is, can last a, a couple of hours by itself. Uh, so as we will look at here in a little while, the root of the problem, though, is, is that we want to play God and set the rules. We want to apply the rules and we want to implement the rules in our lives and in the lives of others. James says this is wrong and certainly damaging to our relationship with others. Uh, it is, is damaging within the body of Christ and it is a horrible, horrible witness to those outside the church of the love of Christ. Judging others is one thing that, I would say hypocritical judging, uh, is something that Turns a lot of people off about the church today. James then goes on to say, if we do judge others, we become a lawbreaker. To which law is he talking about here? He's not talking about the Mosaic law, and he's not certainly not talking about the the Pharisaical Judaism that was in the time. What, what he's referring to here goes back to what was talked about in chapters one and two. It's the perfect law, the the. The law of liberty that's talked about in chapter 1 verse 25 and the law of love that's talked about in chapter 2 verse 8. That, that law was love your neighbor as yourself. So James re- revisits that, that theme of standing in judgment over others which he introduced in chapters 2 and, and, and expounded in, in chapter 3. That's when he was discussing, hopefully you remember, partiality and prejudice. So a judgmental attitude, self-righteous or self-exalting, whichever way you want to call it, manifests itself in lots of ways. It's partiality, it's prejudice, it's slander, all of which break the law of love. Um, So as we we learned last week from Matt's sermon, what what are we to do? Well, we are to call on the grace of God to humble us, resulting in a contrite heart to resist the devil and to come near to God. And if we do these things, the Lord will lift us up. James then says in verse 11, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James is saying here that God is the source of the law. We need to respect the authority of God as the judge. When we judge, we position ourselves basically in the place of God. In fact, that's exactly what he emphasizes in verse 12. And I'll paraphrase verse 12 for you. When we judge others, we come perilously close to playing God ourselves. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. God gave the law, and only He can stand in judgment of it. Only God can pass judgment on a person's actions and motives and especially heart conditions without fault, without hypocrisy and without spite." So James finishes up this uh, this verse 12 with an extremely cutting comment uh, to the person who judges through condemnation. I I, I got the message Bible out and read it and I thought it gave a, a, a great interpretation of this verse. Basically, he says, who do you think you are? Who made you God? At times we all have a tendency to self-exalt ourselves and these verses give us a stern warning of playing God in the lives of others. So who else considered himself to be superior to God? And that was the devil who we are to flee from. So in summary, uh, I'd like to, to, to say the main points that Paul's try- that uh, James is trying to make here. Talking down to others is a harmful and dishonest way of attempting to make ourselves superior to others. Unrighteous judgment of others is a self-serving and malicious. Either form of speech is is slander, the work of the devil, de-unifying to the body of Christ, and the Bible condemns it. Worst of all, it is precariously close to playing God in our lives and the lives of others. So I believe these verses clearly show that unrighteous judgment of others clearly violates the law of God, little L, not big L, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does this unrighteous judgment look like in our everyday life? Scripture is full of help on this. The first type of judgment is superficial judgment. Matthew 7:24 says, "Passing judgment on someone based solely on appearance is sinful." So, have you ever been sitting at a, a light and someone runs, runs a red light, and you say your immediate reaction is, "Is that person is an idiot?" Don't leave me hanging. I mean, okay, I want to see some heads nod. I'm, I'm not the only one, am I? Um, <laughs> You you say that person is an idiot. Well, you really don't know what's going on in that person's life. Was his wife in the car? Was she in labor? Were they headed to the hospital? Was there a different emergency? And I know some of you all have had experiences like this. So the next question is, is if you say he's an idiot, does that mean all people that run red lights are idiots? Have you ever run a red light? Okay, so that, that goes back to the verses where we talked about you, uh, by judging, you condemn yourselves. So this spills into the next type of judgment, a hypocritical judgment, which the church is made most guilty for. In Matthew 7, uh, the passage Jesus commanded not to judge was, was basically uh, followed by comparisons of the different type of hypocrites. We'll talk about that in a little while. This is the biggest criticism of the church today. The Romans 2.1 passage says, when we judge others then we ourselves commit the same sin. We condemn ourselves. That person that ran the red light uh, is an idiot, so I am an idiot. We stand in judgment over others, and then we do it ourselves. That condemns us. And the main thing is, is it damages our witness with regard to others. Harsh, unforgiving judgment. We're called to deal gently with our brothers and sisters. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, It is the merciful who will be shown mercy. How many times have you heard the phrase, I will never speak to that person again? Harsh judgment violates the law of God, hardens our hearts, and makes it impossible for us to be obedient and to reconcile with that other person. This is one of the most difficult things in marriage. Self-righteous judgment. We're called to be humble. God opposes the proud. Verse 6 that Matt talked about last week says, Pride always attempts to present ourselves as better than others. Then there's untrue judgment. The Bible clearly forbids uh, false witness. In fact, in the Old Testament, the, 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 the uh, cure for, for a false witness was punishable by death. Um, Titus 3.2 says, slander no one. So the message of Scripture is extremely clear that, uh, that slander damages the cause of Christ, damages the body of Christ, and it is a scheme of the devil. It has roots in the philosophy of the world which, as Matt talked about last week, we are to separate ourselves from the world. Unrighteous judgment, no question, is condemned. However, that begs the question, is, if there is an unrighteous judgment, is there a righteous judgment? The Bible's, uh, the Bible's command that we not judge others does not mean we cannot show discernment. Immediately after Jesus said, do not judge, as I said, he talked about the hypocrites. He said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. A little later in that same sermon, he said, watch out for the false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And the fruit of these false prophets was basically an opposition to the gospel. So how are we to discern who are the dogs and who are the pigs And who are the false prophets unless we have the ability to make a judgment call on doctrines and deeds? Jesus gives us permission, as he did, to tell right from wrong, to tell unrighteous from righteous. And this is sort of where the problem comes in, doesn't it? He is not saying that all actions are equally moral or that all truth is relative. The Bible clearly teaches that truth is objective, it is eternal, and it is inseparable from the character of God. Anything that contradicts the truth is a lie. But of course, to call something a lie, we have to pass judgment. To call adultery and murder a sin is to pass judgment on those acts. However, it is also to agree with God. When Jesus said not to judge others, he did not mean that no one can identify sin for what it is, but our judgment of sin should not be based on our definition, but God's definition of sin. Christians are often accused of being judgmental and intolerant when we speak out against sin, but opposing sin according to Scripture, is not wrong. Holding aloft the standard of righteousness naturally defines unrighteousness and draws the condemnation of those who choose sin over godliness, who choose darkness over light. John the Baptist incurred wrath, the wrath of Herodias when he spoke out against her adultery with Herod, in, in, the, in the book of Mark. Uh, eventually, she silenced John by, you know, chopping off his head, but that didn't change the truth about her or her actions. So in a postmodern world where individual truth is tied to personal desire, Scripture clearly ties truth to the person of Jesus Christ and the character of God that is revealed to us in His Word and through the life of His Son. That is our standard that we are to discern by. Are we making judgments based on the character of God or the standard that we personally desire? John 1.17 says, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One who abides in the word of God knows the truth. The word free here refers to the bondage to sin. Obedience to the Lord means fellowship with Him. Because we know His word, it means protection for us from sin. And through this, we experience His love. Knowing God's love is freedom indeed. So the book of James has a consistent message trying to reconcile our faith with our life, our deeds, and our behaviors personally and towards others. So our lives lived out should be a reflection of Christ and not the world. The readers of James obviously had an issue with self-exaltation, and he wrote this letter to encourage them to forsake the philosophy of the world that puts self first. That should be an encouragement to us also. Criticizing others is dangerous, not only because it's a form of selfishness, but also because the critic exalts himself even over God. In verse 10, as Matt talked about last week, says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words of truth that you've given us today will uh, penetrate our hearts, that it will transform our minds, and I pray that we would be properly equipped to go out and do the work that you have given us to do. Father, sin enters our life, and we, we do not always react in accordance with your word and abiding in your word. I pray that we would would do this. I pray that you would give us the knowledge to know and the knowledge to be able to discern properly so that your law, the law of love, loving our neighbors as ourselves, is what we do as we go out into the world to bring the lost to us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.